Welcome, everybody, to the Deep End from the home studio. My name is Tim, and we are back again here at home because COVID-19, again, changed everything. Today, the life of David, he has something to say about something that is severely lacking and yet most important in 2020. He has something to say about having courage in the Christian life. Plus, I'm giving you homework. Yes, that's right. I said homework. Welcome to the Deep End with Tim Hatch. Hello, 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 everybody. On Tuesday night, your favorite night of the week, I want to say welcome to our audiences, okay? Welcome to FM 99.5 in Rhode Island. Welcome to Twitch. Welcome to Spotify. Welcome to the radio in Tampa, Florida. Yes, the deep end has gone south to Florida. So welcome to you, those of you who are watching on YouTube. And here's something new. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you to click the subscribe button? Why don't you to click the like button? Why don't you also to click that thumbs, uh, well, like button. Okay, let's try this again. And then the subscribe button, if you would be so kind. And then lastly, that notification bell. Because that way you get updated as to when the deep end is live every time we are. Um, also, follow us on our social media pages. Now, this is very important at facebook.com slash TV, Twitter, Periscope, Instagram. We're going everywhere. The Deep End TV. That's basically our username wherever we are. And of course, on YouTube, like I just said, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and then welcome to the Twitch audience as well. Um, it is so good to see you here with me. Let me know in the comments section where you are watching from. But I want to go to the deep end news. Now we don't have a bumper for the deep end news. We don't have a bumper anymore for the deep end news. Actually, I have this, hold on. I've got this thing. This is the wonderful thing about the home studio. It's a little bit more relaxed. So, <laughs> deep end news, the news you choose if you could choose news. Okay, there is something going on in the world of news today. And I just want to give you a heads up about it. I don't know if you saw this. This is kind of interesting for me. Um, the World Health Organization came out with an update that the lockdowns are not actually working. The lockdowns uh, are not the way forward for uh, the, uh, the, the coronavirus. This is um, World Health Organization Special Envoy, Dr. David Nabarro, a couple of days ago came out and appealed to all world leaders to, quote, stop using lockdowns as your primary method to control the spread of the coronavirus. Now, to me, this is incredibly good news because how many how many remember how terrible the lockdowns were? I hated it. I know you probably hated it. Uh, it was just not good, right? And here's what he said. We in the health organ World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of controlling the virus. The only time we believe lockdown is justified is to buy you time to recognize, regroup, rebalance your resources and protect your health workers who are exhausted. By and large, we'd rather not do it. So what he's basically saying is, at the beginning of the, at the, of the conflict or the crisis, we had to lock down so that the health workers could kind of reorganize and, and gain a foothold, gain, gain some ground on this, on the response to this virus. Now he says, please don't do it again. And I'm, I, I am so excited that he said this because I'm hearing ruminations of lockdowns coming. In fact, I think there's a presidential candidate who says, if I get elected, Joe Biden says this, I'm going to lock us down again. I don't want that. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. Okay. Here's why I don't want it. You might say, oh, you're being so selfish. You're going to you're gonna, you're gonna kill grandma. You're going to kill grandma. No, no, no. I don't want lockdowns again because of the horrible toll the lockdowns have on, on the poor, 
And this is what uh, Dr. David Navarro said. The lockdown consequences that we must never, ever belittle, he said, is making poor people an awful lot poorer in our society. Now, I know this firsthand because I have been to poor countries. I have been to third world areas. I've been to the mountains of Guatemala, the mountains of El Salvador. I have seen the devastating effects of poverty upon people's lives and that the church going to these areas and bringing food and nourishment, rescuing babies like we like our church does, our, par- our church partners with um, Hope of Life in Guatemala, rescuing babies out of impoverished areas in the mountains of Guatemala. That's not happening now because of the lockdowns, because of COVID. When we locked down, the poor suffered. And, it, and there are reports now that it might take decades, decades for us to get back to where we were before the lockdowns happened. So the point that I'm trying to make is we got rem- to gotta learn how to better respond to crises like the COVID crisis because the world needs people of courage. And this is all going to tie into the whole episode today. The world needs people of courage. It takes courage to go to the mountains and rescue babies. It takes courage to help them feed the poor. It takes courage to give up your resources for the sake of other people. And that is what we are called to do as Christians. See, courage is not just being bold or being brazen or being brash. Courage is taking up the mantle of Christ and going out of your way at great cost to yourself to help other people. That's what courage is. Now, I wanted to show you something here. Um, The good news about the COVID 19 crisis is that while cases are on the rise, death rates are on the decline. Cases on the rise, death rates on the decline. This is from the Wall Street Journal. COVID-19 cases, death rates are declining six months into the pandemic. And so while it looks still tenuous with the cases spreading, the good news is they're learning how to lower that mortality rate. This is from uh, healthline.com. COVID-19 mortality is going down in ICUs. Uh, What this means for the pandemic. And there are some highlights, some great highlights to this article that uh, deaths from COVID-19 and ICUs have dropped by about a third since the start of the outbreak. That's really good. Uh, and then they also say that though the decline is substantial, health experts say the mortality rate for ICU patients is still uh, too much, still higher than regular viral pneumonias. But here's the great news from this article. Uh, they say, quote, health experts think better treatment and more resources may explain the mortality drop. In other words, they're better resource. They know a little bit more of what they are doing to make sure that we handle this crisis a little bit better so that we don't have to lock down again. Hey, this is good. This is good news. So with all the bad news out there, right? That's what deep end news is. The news you choose, if you could choose news. With all the bad news out there, there is good news. While there are still cases being reported all across the world, the good news is the mortality rate is coming down. And we need to pray as God's people. Like, think about this response that we have not actually respond, uh, thought about too much about COVID-19. We like to make it a political issue. We like to make it a personal preference issue. I don't want to lock down. I don't want to do this. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to wear da, 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 da. What about prayer? What about we make it a prayer issue? God, please give us better resources and a better response to the COVID crisis so that we can help people, so that we can get better uh, at being uh, responders to the crisis because the world, the world needs courage. The world needs courage, right? And that's what's going to bring us to uh, our topic on the life of David in just a moment. But I want to make sure that you do me a favor. And if you would, please support the deep end, invest at the deep TV slash support, give and it shall be given. Also, you can do it at the hashtag, hashtag the deep end TV, support the deep end. All your support helps us fund all the things that we're doing here with technology and videos and, uh, being able to do the deep end from the comfort of my own home. <laughs> I am so <laughs> glad to be able to bring this content to you from the comfort of my own home. I hope you like it. But anyway, 
Courage. Courage is what we need in 2020. Amen. And I think that more than ever before, we get to look at the life of David for that very reason. Here was a man who was bold, who was courageous, who was triumphant in the face of great obstacles for the people of Israel. And we're going to look at our true and better David, who is who is bold and courageous for us in the face of our true enemy. So with that in mind, let's go to the life of David. The life of David. Okay, today's topic is courage in the name of Jesus. Season four, episode three. Courage in the name of Jesus. The key uh, text from today's talk is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. When David says to Saul these wonderful words, let no man's heart fail. Love it. Love those words. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about a guy by the name of Goliath. Okay. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You know, this is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. First Samuel chapter 17 is also the longest narrative in first Samuel and second Samuel is the story of David and, and I want to put this on the screen because I'm going to do a little test. Okay. David and who David and I bet if you are finishing the sentence, you're going to put Goliath here because after all, right? That's what this story is about. It's about Goliath. I would suggest to you that first Samuel chapter 17 is not as is commonly assumed about David and Goliath. I would suggest to you that first Samuel 17 is about David and Saul. Yep. David and Saul. Why would I say this? Because first Samuel chapter 17 is not about primarily David defeating Goliath as much as it is the courage of David and the fear of Saul. Here's why I say that. Remember back in season one, uh, episode one of season four, I talked about the fact that there's the kingdom of Saul and there's the kingdom of David. And what you have is this picture that Samuel presents to us to illustrate what it's like to live in the kingdom of David while the kingdom of Saul looks like it's in charge. And this is why it helps us in 2020, because we live in an age in which it looks like Saul is winning or Saul, quote unquote, Satan, all right, is in charge or the, or the powers of this world are in charge, but we are not members of the, of the kingdoms of this world. We are members of the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And David is a picture of those who live under the kingdom of Jesus as David fights and lives under the kingdom of Saul. And one of the hallmarks of David's kingdom is courage. You, my friend, are made to be courageous. You are made. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you are a Christian, you are made to be courageous. Courage is a lost art in the 21st century. It really is. There were days, and I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> there were days when the world was not uh, as discovered as it is now. There were days when people traveled over land and sea to discover new places, such as the United States of America. 
There were days, there were, there were times when people loaded onto a ship at great cost to themselves with hardly any resources that we have today, no smartphones, okay? No eye devices, <laughs> nothing, like very, very meager resources and traveled over the Atlantic Ocean, didn't fly, went by ship to a new land that they had previously uninhabited to start a new community. How did they do that? They did it because they were courage, courageous. They, they did it because they were bold, they believe God could lead them forward into places of the unknown. There were times when we, when we traversed into the West in this country, when we left the comforts of the East Coast to go to the West Coast. It was called the Western Frontier, the wild, wild West, right? We, we watch movies about this where the, the law and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't as established as it is now. And so people, you know, kind of took the law in their own hands and people just did this. They just risked themselves. Hey, yesterday we, we commemorated a day called Columbus Day. I know we're changing the lingo to be politically correct to Indigenous People's Day, but it's really Columbus Day. Columbus, for all of his faults, and there are many, he was still a man of courage. He still loaded up his three ships, right? The Nina, the Pinta, and the Anna Maria and went across the Atlantic Ocean to discover new territory. I, what I'm trying to tell you is there was a time when courage was, was valued. Now it seems like courage is no longer something that we value. Now it seems like courage is something that we mock. I want to get a little bit, you might be thinking I'm being political today, but let me just say something. Let me just use it as an example. Okay, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, he got COVID, right? He got COVID last week or two weeks ago. Big to do. President's got COVID, all of his failures, all of his failures coming to haunt him. All the, all the negatives, naysayers came out. Well, he got COVID. He went into the hospital. He got the treatments, the better treatments because the doctors have gotten their resources together. They've gotten their act together. Thank God for doctors. Amen. They gave him all these treatments. They gave him all these solutions and he recovered. And he says he feels better than ever. And then he had the audacity. And I put audacity in air quotes. The audacity to suggest we shouldn't be afraid of COVID. He said, don't be afraid of COVID. And I don't know if you saw what I saw, but the news media, which tend not to like him, um, exploded. <laughs> they exploded in how dare he tell us not to be afraid. I was like watching this. I'm like, the president just told you not to be afraid. I get it. You thought he said, let's not be mournful of those we lost to COVID. That's not what he said. He said, let's not be afraid. He didn't say, let's disrespect everybody we, uh, who lost a loved one for COVID. That's not what he said. He said, let's not be afraid. See, I, I remember watching videos growing up of presidents who told us not to be afraid, and we actually thought they were great presidents for telling us not to be afraid. Remember those days? I seem to remember a guy named Franklin Delano Roosevelt who told us the only thing to fear is fear itself, and everybody applauded, everybody clapped because the president of the United States said, let's not be afraid of Nazi Germany. Let's not be afraid of Imperial Japan. Let's not be afraid of the forces of evil that are attacking us with guns and bullets. And everybody thought that was a good thing. Now the president of the United States says, don't be afraid of this virus, don't be afraid of this sickness, and everybody thinks that's a bad thing? The bigger point that I'm trying to make is that we have lost, we have lost the ability to be courageous in our culture. To that end, to that end, we need to regain our courage as Christians. And here's a passage of scripture that is very near and dear to my heart. First, it comes from Joshua chapter one, verse six. Joshua one, he says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant commanded you. He says, don't turn to the right or to the left from the law of God. He says, meditate on it day and night. And then he says, you will have good success. And then verse nine, he says, have I not, and notice this passage here, commanded you be strong and courageous. Did you ever think, dear Christian, 
Did you ever consider that courage is commanded? Say it with me. Courage is commanded. Say it again. Courage is commanded. This is a command from God not to be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are made to be courageous. That's why I say that the story of David and Goliath is actually a story of David and Saul. Because in this picture, in 1 Samuel 17, we have a picture of two responses to problems. Two responses to problems. The system of this world, Saul, and the people of God, David. The system of this world, the system of David. Which one? Which one are you? Which one are you? Let's take a look at it a little bit clearer, okay? In Saul, we have a zero courage person. Why? I say this. Saul's zero or lack of courage came from his self-absorption. Hear that again. Saul's lack of courage came from his self-absorption. You remember, and I, I briefly touched on this in episode one, but I talked about the fact that Saul became, the moment he became king, he became more and more self-absorbed. He was worried about his image. He was worried about how many people were following him. He was worried about what people thought of him. And it only gets worse after 1 Samuel 17. It gets only worse because Saul's kingdom is a kingdom of self. Saul's kingdom is a kingdom of putting yourself first, seeking your own glory, seeking your own recognition, your own renown. Okay? Then we have a picture of David, true courage. And I think that what gives David his courage is that David is God-centered. He's not self-centered. He's God-centered. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Meaning, if I've got God, I don't need anything else. If I've got God with me, if I've got the Lord as my shepherd, I don't need or have want for anything else. That's what brings you courage. Some of you say, I wish I had more guts. Okay, here's the answer. Here's the way to having more guts in life. This is a very serious answer. The way to having more guts in life is to not fear losing your life. And the way to not fear losing your life is to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you. Did you hear that? Because that was a mouthful, but it's really good. The way to not have, to, the way to have more guts in life is to not fear losing your life. And the way to not fear losing your life is to surrender your life to the one who lost his life for you. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we are no longer afraid of what we will lose in this life, we can be courageous in this world. That is what faith is about. Faith. I have said this before in this podcast. I will say it again. Most Christians think that having faith means being safe. Having faith means being safe. Wrong. Having faith means being willing to not play it safe. Being courageous. Taking risks. Putting yourself out there. Jesus said, go into all the world. How many know it takes guts to go into foreign nations? A la Christopher Columbus, a la pilgrims, a la Western frontiers, a la missionaries still to this day going to Guatemala, Peru, and the other most parts of the earth to bring the gospel to unreached people groups. We need courage for that. And if we do not have courage, we cannot get the job done. The Great Commission cannot be done without courage. To that end, we go to 1 Samuel chapter 17 to discuss how David wins a, pro, a, a, a key battle in Israel's history against a key enemy so that the people of Israel can learn how to get back their courage. Let's look at it. First Samuel chapter 17, verse one. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succoth and Azekah. Now, what we need to understand here is that the Philistines are not where they should be. The Philistines are in Judah. The Philistines are in the land of Israel. In other words, the, the, the Israelites, if you remember, they're supposed to go in and take over the land. They only did that partially. 
in the book of Judges and the book of uh, Joshua. They only did that partially. And as a, as a response, as a result, foreign, the foreign enemies that they left in the land started to invade their land. And so it's an illustration for our own life too. When you let certain things live in your life, they start to invade your spiritual life. When you let godless things live in your life, it starts to invade your spiritual life. It starts to take ground. Well, that's what the Philistines did for the Isra- to the Israelites here in 1 Samuel 17. Anyway, they encamped between Sukkah and Azekah in Aphesdamim. How many of you are glad you're not saying all these names? Verse two, and Saul, the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the Valley of Allah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Okay, let's get into this thing about the Philistines. Three facts about the Philistines. Number one, they were occupying the land of Canaan when Israel went in under Joshua. Joshua fought them, uh, Caleb fought them, and then the judges fought them. Most notably, if you remember, there was a judge by the name of Samson who fought against the Philistines, but he also liked their girls. He liked their women. Okay, well, Israel never fully defeated the Philistines. And as a result, the Philistines started to encroach upon the Israelites' land. Number two, the Philistines were strong and they were more technologically advanced than the Israelites. In fact, there's this sad passage in 1 Samuel 13, 22. It says, on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan had uh, swords themselves. In other words, Uh, You you might not know this, but in the Bronze Age, the Philistines were actually uh, on the cutting edge of technology in the Bronze Age. They were developing weapons. Sorry, not the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. Age. They were developing weapons and they had taken all the forgeries out of Israel and they had kept them for themselves. And they became consequently the only nation with swords and spears. What were the Israelites fighting with? They were fighting with less qualified weaponry, leather. And (laughs) I don't know what else, you know, leather and nothing. So... They were, what I'm saying is the enemy of Israel was more technologically advanced than Israel. Number three, and this is important. The Philistines were standing in the way of Israel's ultimate prosperity. How is that? Because they occupied the coastal land that actually operates as a land bridge between Asia, Europe, and um, Africa. Those three continents, right? Israel's right in the middle. It's still to the day. You can see, look it up on the map. Israel's right in the middle of those three continents. And they were major trade routes in the ancient world. If Israel could occupy the land of the Philistines, they would be prosperous because they would be owners of the trade routes by, that connected those three continents. And sky's the limit with their prosperity. Here's what I'm trying to say. The Philistines were their enemies who were standing in the way of their prosperity. Why do I say that to you? Because today we have an enemy that stands in the way of our prosperity. And he sometimes seems like he is more advanced than us or more powerful than us and If we don't attack, if we don't fight, he will encroach on our lives. I'm talking about our spiritual enemy. The Philistines are a picture of our spiritual enemy. The the demons of hell, they come against us. And yes, I believe in demons. And yes, I believe that there there are evil forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And if we do not fight against them, they will fight into our lives. So we, we have got to follow the example, the story of David in this moment to have spiritual victory in our lives, to claim and possess the prosperity and the benefits and the blessings that God has planned for our lives. Amen? Okay, let's get back into the passage. First, verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. In other words, that's a pretty stinking heavy coat. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and a shield bearer went before him. Okay. 
There's a ton of physical detail to the life of Goliath here. I don't know if you notice it, but there is tons of physical detail. We are asked, we are being asked in the passage to see Goliath. A couple of things to note. Number one, there are three sixes to the to, to the um, details of Goliath. There are three sixes, right? There's the six cubits. His height was six cubits in span. Uh, his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And if you notice, there are six specifically mentioned tools of warfare. Why do I mention that? Because a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, we did the deep end of Revelation and we went through this about 666 in Revelation. Uh, what is that? Is that the mark of the beast? Is that the number of the beast? Yes, but it represents something else. It represents the number of man. It represents the number of the world. It represents this kingdom. 666 is our enemy. Okay. And this is what Goliath represents. We are supposed to be looking at him that way. Second thing that I want to show, want to show you is that he was covered with this coat of mail. This coat of mail. You see there on the on this uh, verse five. Now we can look back at like um, medieval soldiers, and uh, even if you go to um, you know uh, the medieval times, you look up uh, soldiers in the armies or knights. I'm sorry, knights in the armies of medieval times. The coat of mail. It, it looks like. Now think about this. Put it in your head. Okay, a medieval soldier, medieval warrior. A coat of mail looks like what? It looks like the covering of a snake. If you think about it, it looks like the covering of a snake. So here we have Goliath with these three sixes, okay? And he looks like a snake. The, the point that I'm making is that this story is bigger than just this old guy from, Goliath, from Gath named Goliath, this big old guy from, from Gath. No, Goliath is a picture of our spiritual enemy, Satan, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are, it's important that we make that connection because we have to see the tactics of Satan from Goliath himself. Okay, and so with that in mind, let's go to the next slide and we will take a look at verse eight. Here's what he does. Number one, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come. So now just notice for a second that's, that Goliath is the one who's drawing up the turns of the battle. You choose a, a warrior and he comes down and he fights me. Verse nine. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy, this is a key word, I defy the ranks of Israel. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Okay. If we pay attention to the text here, we are being asked to see that he is our spiritual enemy and he has a spiritual plan. Okay. First thing. We have to see is that he's impressive, he's large, he's well, he's well um, uh, armored, he's technologically advanced, he's got all this weaponry, he's big, he's trying to intimidate. Secondly, did you notice that he said, here's the terms of the battle, one of us will fight, and one of you will fight, and we'll see who wins? Guess what that is? That's a one-on-one, mano a mano, a mano, which is one-on-one, which is isolation. Intimidation, isolation. And then he says, defy, I defy the ranks of Israel. The word defy in the Hebrew literally means to disparage or to shame. It literally means to heap shame on an opponent. Basically, he's saying, I heap shame on your army. Your army is terrible. Your army is a nothing army. So with that in mind, it brings me to this point. Goliath, as a picture of Satan, is showing us the tactics of Satan. And we do well Ladies and gentlemen, Christians, dear friends, we do well to know the tactics of Satan so that we know how to fight back. 
I'm not bringing this up for no reason. We need to know our enemy strategy so that we can have the right strategy to fight against him. Number one, intimidation. He wants to intimidate you. First uh, Peter 5, 8 says that he is the roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to intimidate you with his roaring, with his attack. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, shame. Uh, I'm sorry. Secondly, isolation. He wants to get you alone like he did with Eve in the garden, like he will do with David later on with his problem with Bathsheba. When you are alone, you are susceptible to the enemy's attacks. Listen to that very carefully because it is so important. When you are alone, you are susceptible to the enemy's attacks. Do not get alone as much as you possibly can. Do not do Christianity alone. Do not try to live this faith, faith life alone. You cannot do it. Even Jesus did not do it. He had a group of 12 who were with him. And in that group of 12, he had three who were always with him. You need friends. You need family. You need community. And then number three, shame. He wants to heap shame on you. And that's the results of sin in, 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 in the biblical theology. Shame, sin brings shame. Our enemy's tactics, intimidation. He's more stronger than you. He's bigger than you. He's been here a lot longer than you. He's better than you. Blah, blah, blah. Roaring lion. Roar, right? Isolation and shame. Know your enemy so that you can fight your enemy. Okay, moving on. Verse uh, 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine. This is going to be an important point. They heard the words of the Philistine. They listened to who? Hmm. They listened to the enemy. And because they listened to the enemy, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear is the result of listening to your enemy. Fear is the result of listening to your enemy. Please, please, please make sure that you understand that. The more you listen to the devil, the more you listen to the power of this world, the more that you listen to the, 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 the kingdoms of this world, the people of this world, the more you will be dismayed and afraid. Okay, let's get into it. Verse 12. The whole story hinges on verse 12. Now, David. It's like dark and gloomy, Goliath, blah, 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 blah. Now, David. It's like he's, he's the, the dawn of the morning here. He was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. That's Jesse. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went into the battle were alive, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This is very inc incredible. Okay. Um, David is introduced here as the son of an Ephrathite. He's the son of an Ephrathite. Why is that important? Because Ephrathah is where Ruth is from. And Ruth, if you remember, is David's great-grandmother. She was the Moabitess who took a chance, who had, listen to this, this is so good, who had the courage to go to an unknown people, the Israelites, with a woman who had lost everything, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and love her and care for her and put herself out there on the fields of Boaz in the midst of danger to get back what Naomi lost. If you ever go back and read the book of Ruth, it's a beautiful story of a woman's love and fearless, fearlessness, courage, in other words, to care for someone and get back what they lost in the world. And the point that Samuel was trying to draw here is that David is a lot like Ruth. He's a lot like his great-grandma. 
He he's willing to put he's going to be willing to put himself out there. He's going to be willing to risk it all for other people. Okay, so now verse seven, 16 says this. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. 40, by the way, is the number of uh, temptation in the Bible. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the people of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, the, 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 the 12 spies go into the land to seek it out, the land of promise. How many days are they there? They're there for 40 days. <laughs> 40 is the number of testing. 40, uh, number of tempta- uh, 40 is the number of temptation in the Bible. So for 40 days, here comes Goliath, and he says the same thing. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brother's Nephi of parched grain and uh, these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Look at Jesse, what he does here. Yeah, I never saw this, but I saw this this week. Jesse actually says, take the cheeses. Okay, take the loaves to your brothers, but take the cheeses to their commander. (laughs) Take your brothers some food, but take some cheese to their leader. What is he doing? He's bribing the leader. He's trying to make sure that his sons are protected. He's trying to make sure that his sons, his mind you, his three oldest sons are guarded by their boss. Jesse is, a, he, <laughs> he's not a very good father, honestly. He, he plays favorites, doesn't he? He plays favorites all over the place here. He, he put David out with the sheep when, when Samuel came to his house. Anyway, the lesson is don't worry about how other people treat you, <laughs> really. Anyway, he says, take these 10 loaves and take these cheeses. And guess what? David does it. He was willing to carry the bread and the cheese. Now, remember, this is after 1 Samuel chapter 16, where David gets anointed to be king in the presence of his brothers. His brothers thought they were going to be king. And God's like, uh-uh, all seven of them, uh-uh, get me David. David comes in. Rise and anoint him, Samuel. Samuel pours the oil on his face. We talked about this, covers his whole body. In the presence of his brothers, the prophet Samuel says, the Lord has anointed you to be king. And David is anointed in front of the people who despised him. And now the the father who plays favorites says, I want you, I know you've been anointed, but I need you to do me a favor. Help your brother, help your brothers out. Help your, bring them some food. What's the point that I'm trying to make? Here's the point I'm trying to make. After his anointing, David serves. After his anointing, David serves. We have this opinion that having an anointing means that you're special, that you're great, and everybody should serve you because you are, after all, anointed. That is not biblical anointing. Biblical anointing means that you are willing to serve. Biblical anointing is modeled in the the life of Jesus who said the Son of Man does not come to be served Mark 10, 45, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First Peter 4, 10 instructs us as each has received a gift. You've been anointed with a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Galatians 5, 13, you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but to serve one another through love. I, I, I'm moved by this moment that David is willing to serve after his anointing because anointing in in the kingdom of Jesus is not for your benefit. Your anointing is for the benefit of others. And you say, well, thank God I'm not anointed now. I don't have to serve. No, every Christian is anointed. First John chapter two says you have an anointing from the Holy one. You are anointed. You are anointed therefore to serve and serving takes courage, courage to lay down your life, courage to sacrifice things that you have 
for the sake of others. And what I love about David is he models this. After his anointing, he serves. Let's go on. Verse 19. Now Saul and all they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, let the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions and went as David, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came into the encampment as, this, as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Okay, for only thing I want to show you from this passage is that David doesn't leave the sheep alone. Does he? No. It says in verse 20, David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. He's not going to leave his responsibilities. Look at this next verse. Verse 22, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. Again, David does not leave things uncared for. What is David doing? He's giving us a picture. He's giving us a picture of Christ. Christ does not leave us uncared for. Mm, love that. Love that. David let the things in the charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion Philistine of Gath, uh, Goliath by name came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were much afraid, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give his daughter and make his father's house free. In other words, no taxes. <laughs> I like that. that. That sounds good to me right about now. No taxes if you kill the Philistine. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines takes away the approach and takes away the reproach from Israel. Takes away the reproach. Another word for reproach is shame. Mm-hmm. What shall be done? He's not worried about killing the Philistine. He's worried about the shame of God's people. He's worried about how the people of Israel are being treated. For who is, David said, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy, again, shame, the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Verse 28, now Eliab, his brother, we talked about this a couple, I think last week, uh, last time we were on the deep end. Now Eliab, his brother, when he heard uh, what he spoke to the men, he heard uh, David's words and Eliab's anger was killed, kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? Look at how Eliab accuses David of something he didn't do. Again, who is, a picture, who is David a picture of? Jesus. He was accused of things he didn't do. We have heard this man say he would destroy this temple in three days, raise it up. And they accused him of blasphemy and they accused him of being a demon and they accused him of being a Samaritan. All these things that weren't true. They accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. Not true. David is a picture of Jesus. Eliab, his older brother, the Pharisees, older brothers of Jesus, accused him. The scribes, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin accused Jesus of what he did not do. They says, I know the presumption and evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? What is it? Was it not but a word? Now, um, I'm reading from the ESV translation, but there is this great translation. It's called the New King James Version, the New King James Version. And this line right here, what have I done now? Was it, was it not but a word? actually is translated oops sorry everybody still working out the uh details let me put this back up here <laughs> um there we go wasn't up but word in the new king james version he says is there i love this not a cause i love that because the hebrew is so weird you can't really truly translate it very clearly in English, but so the New King James translators decided to say what he said was, is there not a cause? In other words, why are you getting mad at me? There's something to be fought for. And in our generation right now, people arguing masks, no masks, lockdown, no lockdown. Is there not a cause to 
go with the good news of Jesus Christ to help the poor, to be the church, to be the light. Is there not a cause? This is why we have to be courageous because Jesus has given us a cause and the cause is to bring the gospel to the world regardless of what might happen to us to have courage so that we can get the great commission done. Okay, moving forward. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated it before Saul and he sent for him. And David said, there it is. Love this. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Let no man's heart fail. The word courage. The word courage in English. Did you know this? Comes from the word in Latin for heart. You know what courage is? It's having heart. Now, in this moment, ladies and gentlemen, it's very, very important that we get this. We often think that it is our job to be like David. And I would say, well, yes, but not until we look at what David does. If you were in the Valley of Allah that day, I guarantee you, you would not have been David. You would have been one of the hiding, shuddering, shivering, scared Israelites looking at Goliath and saying, I ain't doing that. You are, you are not David. I am not David. And this passage is not saying for us to be David. In other words, killing our own giants, uh, conquering our own enemies. We, we, no, no, no. David is a picture of our true David, Jesus Christ, who doesn't fear, who doesn't get intimidated, and who deals with the greatest threat to our peace and prosperity, our true Goliath, Satan. Jesus at the cross took down our true Goliath, Satan, so that we could have heart. Don't you see? The gospel is more than just about getting you to heaven. It's about having you be strong in heart, bold and courageous now in your life. This is what God wants for you today in your life. We, we so often miss this as Christians in America. Christianity is a call to courageous living. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. We, we, we've got to have courage in our Christianity. He goes to Saul, verse 33. You are not able, Saul says, to fight against this Philistine. You are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. Okay, now. Saul sees things the way the world sees things. He judges by appearance. And there is a great lesson in the book of Samuel here. There's a great lesson that we need to pay attention to. The book of Samuel, the, the whole book of first Samuel is, is on, is, is, is rooted in this theme. We must listen to God rather than judge things by what we see. We must listen to God rather than judge things by what we see. That's the whole, that's the whole theme of Samuel. And, and it's evidenced in even Samuel's own birth if you remember in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1, Samuel's own birth story is because his mother, who is barren, Hannah, goes to the temple and she desperately cries for God to give her a son. And she makes this deal with God. If you give me a son, I'll give him to your service. And her husband sees her praying and she's praying with her with, with silence. She's not mouthing the word. She's not vocalizing. She's just praying silent prayer. And her husband sees her and accuses her of being drunk. He doesn't hear. He, see, he makes a judgment of her character on what he sees, not on what he hears. So that's how Samuel is born because of her, her prayer and the way that she was in the midst of her being judged by what people saw. So there, there's number one. Number two, remember they picked their first king based on what they see. Saul is a head and shoulder taller than all the other Israelites. So they choose their king based on what they see, not what they should hear from God. 
Then, at the choosing of David, what does God himself have to say to Samuel? Don't judge by what you see. Judge by what you hear me say. And th- th- this is so good. This is the theme of 1 Samuel because it is, it is uh, pointing to the larger theme of the Bible. We are not people who judge by what we see, but by what we hear from God. And so even Saul, put this back up, even Saul says to David, I see you, you're not able. Saul himself judges by what he sees. And Saul is a picture of the world, right? So this is the world in which you live, Christian. You live in a world that judges you by what people see. And I wonder who here is listening to me right now. And you have let that judgment of what people see from the outside of you cause you to live a far less substantial life, a life that has been pressed down by the opinions of others because you assume they must be right. No, they are not right. They are the kingdom of this world and you are not of this world. You are in the kingdom of Christ and he, thank God, does not judge us by what he sees, but by what he says and we are justified by the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again and said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The Christian life is a life of courage because we do not live by what we see. We live by what we hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. And we walk not by sight, but by faith. Amen. Ooh, that's so good. I just like that. That's so good. All right, verse 34. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb from the flock. And I went after him. I <laughs> just like this. Like if you're David and you say, oh, you know, it's just one, one lamb's been taken. And I love the fact that David's like, I saw him take a lamb and I went after the lion. Would you go after a lion? Would you go after a bear? <laughs> I'd be like, you know, it's only one sheep. Yeah, there's plenty left over here. Dad will never notice. Right? <laughs> I went after the lion or the bear. I struck him. I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard. Hmm. That's precarious for us deep enders, amen? I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Notice that David said that this guy's like an animal. This guy's like an animal. He shall be like one of them. For he has defied, he has shamed the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, go and the Lord be with you. And there's an important point here. There's an important point. And it's an important point for us in our lives. David faced the lion. David faced the lion. David faced the bear. And then David could face the Philistine. Who's listening to me today? And you have faced lion. And you have faced bear. And you have not fought back. And you have not been courageous in the face of the lion and the bear. And I just think about this. You're going to have troubles in this world. That's back to John 16, verse 33. You're going to have troubles in this world. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. So when you face your troubles, take heart. When you face your troubles, don't back down, stand up. When you face your troubles, pray through, press through, praise through, walk through. God will be with you, okay? Because here's the thing, and, and, and this is the point that I wanna make. We can either let God shape us through our challenges or we can let our challenges shape our view of God. Right now you're going through a lion season or a bear season? Are you letting the lion and the bear give you more fear in life? Or are you letting the lion and the bear provide you opportunity to trust God through it, pray through it, 
believe God through it, overcome it, and learn that God has shaped you and made you strong and courageous. You can either let your challenges shape you, God shape you through your challenges, or you can get overwhelmed with the challenges and say, there must be no God or God doesn't care or God doesn't love me. Uh, someone once said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Let's go on. Verse 38. Then Saul thought with his eyes again, clothed David in his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried to go in vain for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. Again, all, we are, all we're seeing here is, what are we seeing? We're seeing that Saul, judging by appearances, what he sees, let me put this on you. And I wonder who here today, you need to listen to this. The world is trying to put things on you. You need to reject them. The, the, the world is trying to put things on you to handle your problems, to handle your challenges, to handle your difficulties, and you need to reject them. Sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's debt. Let me go into debt so I can get money. Let me, let, 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 sometimes it's, you know, I need, I need to be liked by this group. I need to have this job. I need to have this, this, this resource because after all, it works for them. It works for the kingdom of the world. We are not the kingdom of the world. We are the kingdom of David. We are the kingdom of Jesus. And we cannot use the tactics of this world which judges by sight to live by faith. Anyway, verse 40 says this. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Another word for shame. There's this tactic. He shames you. For he was but a youth, rudy and handsome in appearance. And then it says this. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, Talked a lot about this. It's the theme of 1 Samuel. Even the Philistine judges by what he sees. It's kind of interesting because it's making it pretty clear that Saul's kingdom, okay, Saul who had been Israel's chosen king by what they saw, Saul acts more like the Philistine. Saul judged David by what he saw. The Philistine judged David by what he saw. David's brothers judged David by what they saw. Jesse judged David by what they saw. This is the point. The point is we can't live by judging by what we see. Maybe you need to hear that for the election coming up. <laughs> Maybe you need to hear that for this election season right now. I'm going to judge the election. I'm going to judge my country by what I see. Well, maybe you can live like that. You can live in fear or you can live by faith. You can live by faith saying no matter what I see, no matter who I see in the Oval Office, I'm going to live by faith and believe that Jesus is still on the throne. You see? Or do you hear? Do you see or do you hear? Do you judge by what you see or do you judge by what you hear? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Okay, uh, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, and I love this. He just talks back. You come to me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host to the, of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth might know that there is a God in Israel, that all the earth might know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That is a mouthful. That is a awesome, awesome mouthful. I don't think there's a better moment in scripture 
than that passage when when david other than the resurrection of course when david just talks back and says god's got this this is going to happen i'm going to win i'm going to beat you and i'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth that all the earth might know that there is a god in israel by the way just want to let you know something david's words here came true they did do not does not most of the world the lion's share of the world believe in one god where does that where does that idea come from that comes from israel before israel every nation on earth believed in multiple gods think hinduism three hundred thousand gods most of the world think there's multiple gods. most of the world thought that there was multiple gods before israel david wins this battle he says and when i win this battle the world's gonna know that there is a god in israel one god in israel and because david won this battle most of the world knows that there is one God. Most of the world is not polytheistic. Most of the world is monotheistic, even if they might be Muslim or Jewish. Most of the world is monotheistic. David's words come true. It's just powerful. Anyway, anyway, moving on. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is the picture of Jesus Christ's ultimate victory at the cross. There was no, there was no sword in the hand of Jesus. There was a nail at the cross. There was no sword. The swords were where? The swords were in the Roman centurion's hands, if you remember correctly. The swords were not in Jesus' hands. The sword was in Pilate's hands. Hey, the sword was in Peter's hands. What does Jesus say? Put your sword away. We're not going to win this battle through the means of this world, through the technological advancements of the world. We're going to win this battle through my blood, through my death, through my burial, through my resurrection. Okay, moving on. We'll close this out. Verse 51, then David ran, I'm sorry, saw that. Oh yes, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shiarim as far as Gath and Ekron. This is a powerful moment because what it's showing you is that David's victory over Goliath gives the people of Israel courage over the Philistines. Did you see it? It's, it's beautiful. David's victory over Goliath. By the way, he kills him with his own sword. How does Jesus kill how does Jesus win our spiritual victory? With the devil's own sword. What's the devil's sword? The sword of death. Jesus destroys the devil's power over us with his own tool that he threatens us with. Death. Jesus kills death with death. David kills Goliath with his own sword. And the defeat of Goliath at the hands of David brings courage to the people of Israel. So to see ourselves in the story is we're those who are hiding. We are those who are shaking. We are those who are shuddering. And David's victory gives us boldness to fight our battles. Jesus's victory gives us boldness to fight our battles. The point is, the point is your greatest fear has been handled. Now you can fight as a Christian. Your greatest fear has been handled. Now you can fight as a Christian. Why? Because your greatest fear is death. And in Christ Jesus, death is no more. Death has been disabled. It can no longer have mastery over you. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel gives you courage because the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. And the best thing that can happen to you is you die. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. 
And that's what David's life and David's victory is for us as Christians. David ran into the valley. Jesus ran into the valley of death. David faced and risked his life. Jesus gave his life. David tasted death, but Jesus experienced death. And his victory, his victory is ours. Isn't it wonderful? It's such a wonderful way to see the story of David and Goliath again as David and Saul, two, two faces of courage. But the story of David and Goliath is God is not asking you to beat Goliath. God is showing you that he has, he has provided a man who has beaten Goliath. His name is Jesus. Your Goliath death has been killed with his own sword. And now you can plunder the Philistines. You can win. You can conquer. You can achieve. You can, uh, you can accomplish great things in Jesus' name. Courageous in the name of Jesus. Verse 53, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered the camp. Remember I said the Philistines were standing in the way of Israel's prosperity. Now they aren't. So they plundered the camp and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. In verse 55, as soon as Saul saw, as soon as Saul, Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. Verse 56, the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. So you have this picture. You have this picture of two kings, two kings, one in present tense, one in future tense. One who was shivering and hiding the kingdoms of the world. And now you have the kingdom of David and he's got the, he's got death in his hand. What does Jesus say? I hold the keys of hell and death in my hand. In Revelation chapter one. With the head of the Philistine in his hand, verse 58, and Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Back to Ruth, back to the story of courage, to care, to put yourself out there, to save and to redeem what was lost. That's what David did. That's what Ruth did. That's what Jesus did. And the final point that I want to make is this. You are made for courage, but your courage must come from understanding and living from the finished work of Jesus. You are made for courage, okay? But I am not asking you to just be courageous for the courageous sake. I'm not asking you to just be bold. I'm not, I'm not asking you to just be, be out, put yourself out there. I'm saying that your courage is gonna come from and must come from the fact that you know Jesus Christ has died for you, given his life for you. And he is your good shepherd who will never leave you. Just like David did not leave the sheep without care. Just like David did not leave the, 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 um, the baggage without a caretaker. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So go forward in faith and do, do what Hebrews tells you. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, which clings so easily and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus looking to our David, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He faced death, despising the shame. See how it all comes together? And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your true David is Jesus and he has defeated death for you so that you can take risks and be courageous in life. Okay, isn't that a cool story? Isn't that a good way to see the story of First Samuel chapter seven to, uh, 17? Which kingdom are you? Kingdom of Saul, shaking, shivering, Letting COVID, letting, the, let, letting politics, letting 2020 push you down into shame, fear, isolation? Or are you going to stand up? Are you going to stand up and do 
what God has empowered you to do through the finished work of Jesus Christ, to be courageous, to be strong, to be bold, and to win, to win in life. Now, we can talk about this all day, but if we don't do anything about it, if we don't do anything with it, it means nothing. So I got some homework for you. <laughs> yeah, you heard that right. You're getting deep end homework. Here's their deep end homework. And I really want this to happen. I hope you do this. Will you do this for me, please? I'm gonna give you homework. I want you to take a chance with courage. If you're a Christian, I want you to take a chance, take the chance with courage. I want you. I wonder who out there is listening to me right now and you should take the job or you should uh, talk to the person or you should uh, share your faith with the neighbor or you should invite that person to church or you should um, discipline your son or I don't know, whatever it is, whatever it is that the devil has, has, has put so much fear on you, you haven't done it and you know you should do it. Well, remembering that Jesus Christ has died for you to give you courage, has died and rose again to give you courage, I want you to take that chance. I want you to do it. And then I want you to tell me about it. Can you do this? This is your homework. Not all of you are going to do it. I get it. But I want to hear about it. And send me an email at mystoryatthedeepend.tv. Mystoryatthedeepend.tv because I want to hear about how God gave you that moment to be courageous. Because if we listen to this story and if we study the life of David and we learn about all this stuff, if it only stays up here, it literally means nothing. I want you to be courageous this week. Send me your story, my story at thedeepend.tv. Email it to me. And then next week, I want to share your story. So I'm putting this on you. If we have no stories next week, it's on you. It's not on me. It's on you. So if you are a deep ender, a faithful deep ender, take the chance. Talk to the person. Apply for the job. I don't care. And tell us how God came through for you. I would love to hear that from you. Okay? That's our episode. Make sure you follow us at facebook.com slash TV, uh, YouTube, and uh, Twitch, and Twitter, and all those things. I'm so glad that you were here. I'm so glad that I am able to do this in my home office. I will see you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.